Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we discuss, educate and talk about industry news and hot topics, company reviews and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International. With a career covering nearly two decades, Mining International partners with new and junior miners and larger predominant players in the market. With no further ado, here is your host, Rob Tyson. Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the mining podcast. And today's guest is Alan Carter, who's the president and CEO of Cabrel Gold, a mineral exploration company with a focus on gold and copper um, assets with a key project in QUQU, I hope I pronounced that properly, um, which is located in northern Brazil. Um, Alan is a geologist by background um, and has spent a lot of time in South America. So I'm keen to get his understanding of um, the gold market as well as um, operating in Brazil. So I'd like to welcome Alan. How are you doing, Alan? Very well, Rob. Nice to be here. Yeah, thank you very much for agreeing to do the podcast. Um, so, yeah, just wondering if you can just give us a, a brief background of, of yourself from when you graduated back in the day um, to where you are today. And then I've got a number of questions that I want to uh, cover with you. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Um, well, um, I'm, I grew up in the UK. Uh, I have a degree in geology and I have a PhD in uh, gold geochemistry and uh, structural geology. I spent a couple of years working in Zimbabwe in a deep underground mine and then went to work with Rio Tinto and uh, Billiton in South America. So I lived uh, in several countries in South America for 10 years, and uh, I ended up working with BHP in the business development unit of BHP um, in uh, Vancouver. And in 19, uh, sorry, in 2004, I uh, resigned from that, and I've been working with uh, junior companies ever since. Okay. And how do you find, obviously, you've been out in South America for a while and obviously you're operating in Brazil. Is there any particular countries that you prefer working in within mining across across uh, South America? Yeah, there are, Rob. I mean, um, there are certainly, uh, from a jurisdictional point of view, some countries which are more, have more attractive legislation. And uh, we're re- really at the earlier stages of the whole mining process, and that's exploration and development. And so... Um, you know, I've lived in uh, Bolivia twice, uh, Peru, Argentina, Ecuador, spent a lot of time in Chile and an awful lot of time in Brazil. So I'm fluent in Spanish and, and Portuguese. So, uh, you know, obviously um, some of the more well-known jurisdictions won't come as any surprise to you um, that, uh, that I think are particularly attractive. In South America would be uh, Peru, uh, Chile, uh, I'd probably put Colombia on there too. And obviously Brazil. I've spent an awful lot of my career um, looking for gold deposits in Brazil. Yeah. And is there a lot of differences in terms of culture among those countries, would you say? And I suppose the way you do mining. Yeah, they're very different. I mean, obviously, you've got the language issue with um, with Brazil. Um, the geology of these countries is very, very different. The climate's very different. Um there are obviously some similarities. It is nice to be able to travel throughout the region and, 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 and be able to speak, you know, just a couple of languages, unlike Europe, where, you know, uh, there's lots of different uh, languages in Europe. But, um, um, yeah, there certainly are some differences. But, in, uh, I mean, it's, uh, 
it's an incredible continent with an enormous potential and it has um, some of the largest um, you know mines uh, and in, in countries which produce an awful lot of things like gold and copper and iron ore and aluminum um, so uh, it's an amazing continent mm. and I suppose pretty under I wouldn't say undeveloped as a as as countries go but I suppose there's a lot of potential across the continent um, with vast reserves in certain countries yeah yeah, yeah no it's it's enormous i mean you take a country like brazil and um, we're working in a region that experienced the world's largest ever gold rush now i'm mm. sure all your listeners have heard of the california gold rush that happened around about 160 170 years ago now um the, the gold rush that happened in in brazil in the mid 1980s um was 10 times larger than the california gold rush and most people have never even heard of it right so um, you know, there, there is absolutely enormous potential and, and that's just one example, but there are a number of other parts of the continent, which, uh, which I think are highly prospective. Yeah. So, um, I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about obviously Cabral Gold and, um, obviously the project that you're working on Q, Q, U, Q, U, um, and what's, I suppose, unique about, about the uh, project? Um, yeah, Rob, um, well, let's start with Cabral first of all. Yeah. Uh, Cabral is a publicly listed ca ca uh, company on the TSX Venture Exchange, so we're Canadian-based. Um, we're a very small company. We have a market cap of about 15 million Canadian dollars, so about 10 million pounds. Um, we have a gold project in northern Brazil that so far has resources uh, drilled off of about a million ounces. Um, so uh, the gold deposit that we have, we think has the potential to be much, much larger. Um, and the reason we say that, or I say that, is because during that gold rush that I just mentioned, um, there were informal miners that were washing gold from a hundred different streams in, in a hundred different places in the region, quite a large region, probably three or 400 kilometers across. And the project Kuyukuyu that you mentioned was the richest area. So it produced more gold than any of the other 100 areas. Um, so it's quite special. The potential's enormous. We've got eight targets outside the million ounce resources, which by the way are open at depth. There's eight other areas within hmm, four or five kilometers where we've got very good drill intercepts that we need to do more drilling. And I think several of those target, eight targets will ultimately prove to be uh, deposits. So. Um, and we've been making some new discoveries on the project. We've been um, finding some new areas where we've got very high-grade boulders on surface. There's one area in particular called um, Alonso where the surface boulders are averaging over three ounces gold, so about 90 grams. So <laughs> there's an awful lot of gold come out of the area. It's very, very special. We've already got a million-ounce resource to start with, which is a pretty good starting base, and the potential here is to actually uh, grow this resource to... Uh, potentially five to ten million ounces so it's it's quite a special sort of uh, project yeah and what if you can give us an overview of obviously of operating in brazil um and why you think it it is a good place to do i suppose to do business and do mining yeah i mean um i think uh first thing i'd say uh rob about brazil is um it's a very large country it's yeah. enormous it's um uh, got a population of about 212 million people. It um, has a uh, is a very large producer of commodities. It's the world's largest beef producer. It pro it's the world's large largest producer of things like orange juice. Um, 
uh, it's one of the top producers of things like soybean. And the reason it's such a major agricultural producer is because practically all of the surface area of Brazil is potentially cult uh, could, could, is pot has potential to be uh, cultivated. Yeah. Um, there are many parts of Brazil, most parts of Brazil, uh, crops will grow 12 months of the year. Um, which is pretty unusual if you live in a place like I do, like Canada or, or where you do yeah. uh, in the UK. <laughs> um, but the other thing I'd say about specifically about the mining business is um, it has the world's largest iron ore mining complex in the Carajás. So it's a major producer of iron ore. Um, it has some very large uh, aluminum mines, uh, which make uh, obviously which produce aluminum. And um, and it's and for 200 years during the 18th and 19th centuries, it was actually the world's largest gold producer. Um, and then there were obviously discoveries made in South Africa and Australia and the U.S. But but um, the geology here is very permissive for a whole series of different commodities, including copper. There are some very large copper mines in Brazil. Gold, obviously. And there are some very large gold mining companies that some of your listeners will be familiar. Kinross's largest gold mine is in Brazil produces over 600,000 ounces a year. Anglo Gold Ashanti, one of the world's largest gold mining companies, which headquartered where you are in London, yep. um, has three mines in Brazil. Yamana, another very large uh, gold mining company, has a big mine in Brazil. Um, and I could go on, you know, London Mining. Uh, there's, a, there's a company called Equinox Gold you may be familiar with. Yep. That's from, and, and Chairman's Ross Beattie, they have four mines in Brazil. So there's a lot of activity happening in Brazil. Now, obviously, Brazil's being hit quite hard by the uh, coronavirus um, right now, uh, which is unfortunate. Uh, that will pass, uh, and we are starting to see infection rates drop. Um, so that is a, there is certainly some short-term challenges. But, um, uh, you know, I've, I've been working there a long time. I have family in Brazil, um, and uh, I, I'm, I'm tremendously excited about the potential. Yeah. Um, obviously mentioned about, uh, obviously, uh, the coronavirus. Has a lot of operations stopped? I mean, that's, that's what I've sort of been, I suppose, hearing that operations have stopped. And if I look at, say, operations in Africa, they seem to be continuing. Um, yeah. I mean, is, is that the case? Have a lot of operations stopped across South America? No. Um, okay. In Brazil, mining is regarded as a critical industry. Yeah, as is mineral exploration, actually. Um, and so most mines are, are, have continued on through this. There's obviously um, most operation, I think all operations have put in precautionary measures and there have been cases, obviously. Um, but uh, no, most mines have continued to operate. Um, I wouldn't say completely as normal, but um, uh, and it, it's obviously having some impact because um, in, in you know in certain mines there are workers that have contracted the the disease and and uh, that obviously impacts productivity but no most operations have continued during this uh, the pandemic okay um and can you tell us a little bit more about the um tapajos is that how i pronounce it region in northern brazil where where your obviously projects located yeah um well as i said the tapajos um which most people never even heard of <laughs> is the site of the world's largest gold rush in history in terms of people that were washing gold uh, during the rush. And it started in about 1978. And right there, and back then, the region was quite remote. Uh, most of the access was through rivers and, uh, and small aircraft. In fact, the world's busiest airport in the early 1980s wasn't Heathrow or Dallas or, or Atlanta. Um, it was a tiny, it was a small town called Itaituba, which was the center of the gold rush. 
Um, it certainly wasn't the world's busiest in terms of people, but it was the world's busiest in terms of uh, takeoffs and landings. And all those takeoffs and landings over a thousand a day would have been small planes. <laughs> um, so since then, of course, the infrastructure's improved enormously. There are roads, um, paved roads going through the area now. Access is much, much better than it was uh, 30, 40 years ago. Um, so I've been captivated for <laughs> quite a long time, I guess probably going on 15 years now, about back in the gold rush days, these guys were mining gold from the streams. So they were washing gold, as like you've seen it on TV, um, you know, some of the old uh, documentaries and stuff, the old photographs, watching guys with wooden sluice boxes, um, washing gold from the streams. Now, all that gold that was produced back then and over about a 15 year period during the gold rush, which was um, mainly the 1980s uh, and basically petered out in 1995, there were an estimated 20 to 30 million ounces of gold washed from the streams. Right. That That's is an enormous amount, amount of yeah. gold. It ranks in terms, if you look at districts, placer gold districts uh, throughout the world, that actually ranks number three in terms of the gold that was produced. So it's number one in terms of the people that rushed up there, but it's number three in terms of the gold that was produced. So that gold, that placer gold, is all gold that's been eroded from the surrounded rocks. So I've been on a bit of a personal quest for the last sort of 15 years or so to try and determine or try and figure out where this gold was coming from. There are obviously multiple sources. I mentioned there were a hundred different places where they were washing gold from. And uh, so a friend of mine basically mentioned this to me, you know, 15 years ago. And um, well, I said, well, where would you start with this? He said, well, these areas have all been abandoned uh, or mostly abandoned now, you know, um, as, as the gold in the gravel was exhausted, people moved on. And when the gold rush actually petered out completely, uh, most of those folks went back to what they were doing previously, you know, farm laborers, bus drivers, et cetera, et cetera. And so most of these areas were abandoned. So this friend of mine, who's a, who's a, a geologist, um, started talking about it. And I said, well, where would you start? And he said, well, it looks like a lot of these areas are free for staking. So, um, and we went into an area first off where we were fortunate enough to see that at uh, the base of the stream, we could see the rocks exposed. Very, very unusual. Most of these areas are just water-filled pits and uh, covered with vegetation and uh, vegetation's all grown back and covered everything. In this one area, we could see that there were some veins exposed at the base of the pit where the miners had been uh, mining the gold from the gravel. And we took some samples and um, they came back very good grade. We could see that it was quite a wide zone. That uh, recognition basically led to us uh, making a discovery called of a deposit called Tocantanzinho. Now that is now owned by Eldorado Gold, um, and it is it's about two and a half million ounces, Rob. It's fully permitted, and um, so we had some early success. Um, so this friend of mine said, "Look, there are twenty other areas here that right. we can actually stake uh, that could have, um, you, you know, that nobody knows where the gold was actually coming from, and let's grab them." So. So um, here we are, fast forward 15 years later, I think we've now been involved directly, um, I've been directly involved with four gold discoveries in Brazil, in this part of the world. And if you uh, take the whole management team at Cabral, um, that, that we have, we've been involved with five in the region. Mm. Uh, but as I said, the key asset that we've got inside of Cuyu Cuyu is called, uh, sorry, inside of Cabral, it's called Cuyu Cuyu, and, and was the richest one. 
So we think... So you've uh, taken the best good, one. There's a very good likelihood that there could be a very large gold deposit associated with this. And we're not starting from nothing. We're starting with a million ounces. So yeah. that number's going to go up. It's definitely, definitely going to get a lot larger. Yeah. Um, what sort of challenges would you say you've had uh, working in Brazil <clears throat> compared to probably other areas that you've, ha- you've worked in or other jurisdictions? Um, is there any particular unique challenges that you've had in Brazil where you probably haven't had before? Um, I wouldn't say that unique challenges. I've come across similar challenges before. I'd say the biggest challenge um, probably for us as a small company, which is not Brazil specific necessarily, Rob, but it's, it's raising capital. Because yes. we are a small company and we're exploring, we're like a research and development company. So, you know, in the equivalent of the um, pharmaceutical industry, uh, industry, we would be looking for the next blockbuster drug. In the mining industry, we're looking for a very big gold deposit. Yeah. And we've already got a modest sized gold deposit, but we think it's going to get larger. But apart from that, uh, I think that the, the main challenge for us in this area is the fact that 99.98 or 99% of the area is covered by soil and vegetation. Yeah. So that means we've got to get as smart as we can about looking through that cover to determine where the gold is coming from. That's probably, I would say, the biggest challenge of, of working in the area that we're working. Now, there's lots of tools that we can bring to bear on this. And we've obviously had some success because we already have a million ounce gold deposit and, and you know, eight other target areas where we drill gold. Um, but um, yeah, I'd say that's the biggest challenge. Yeah. And how's the relationships between uh, the, the government or and local community? How, how are they um, and how they, receiving you guys being there yeah excellent question um we're in a state called para it's a very big state in in northern brazil it has uh, this uh, a very large a, a number of very large iron ore and aluminum mines in the within the state um it has some uh, significant gold uh, and copper mines as well so the state is de- not wholly dependent on mining but mining is a major component of the state's revenues and so that the state government is very supportive of, uh, of mining activity um, um, the other thing I would say about where we are is there is a uh, we we take our um, relationship with the local community very seriously so there's a small village where we are um, that was basically established during the gold rush when there were probably more than 10,000 people living there. There's now about 300 people living in the village. Um, And um, we um, do as much as we can um, to to help the community. I'll give you some examples. There's some some stuff on our website, cabralgold.com, but I'll give you some examples of what we do. Um, We sole fund a health post. It is the only health post in the village, and it's obviously um, been very, very important for the community, particularly now. we do uh, everything up to minor uh, operations, so fix broken bones, sew people up, uh, give people medicine for various things. Uh, um, so we fund that, we sole fund that. We have a nurse that works part, part-time, part-time on that for the community, and we don't charge anybody anything. Um, we've just drilled a new water borehole, so the community now has a fresh source of uh, drinking water. Uh, and Obviously, we sole funded that. We're now putting all the pipes in. Uh, we pick up all the rubbish in the village um, twice a week. Uh, we have a track. We provided everybody with bins. Um, 
uh, we uh, have just renovated the school and the community is in the process of building a new school, which we're part funding, uh, but we put air conditioning into the old school, fixed the roof up. You know, I took down a bunch of old laptop computers and a projector and a few things last time I went down. And, and, and so we, we do as much as we can, Rob. Obviously, yeah. what we can do is limited by the fact that we're an exploration company. So as yet, we don't have any revenues, but yeah. um, we have a good relationship with the local community. Yeah. And have you helped out with the coronavirus in terms of maybe testing or anything that's obviously more recently? Um, uh, absolutely. Because we self-fund the only health post um, yep. in, in yeah, the community. Yeah. So, you know, we, we paid for and brought in a lot of test kits. Um, we've just hired an additional nurse to help uh, our guy that is, is there. He's, he was kind of a little bit overwhelmed. Uh, fortunately, um, the infection rate in, in, a, in where we are has dropped off significantly now, but, you know, we hired a secondary nurse, all, all at our expense. And so, and um, the community, you know, obviously we're not charging people for any of that. So, yes, uh, we've helped out as much as we can. Mm. No, that's, that's good, to, good to hear. Um, and I'm, uh, I'm sure the uh, audience appreciate that as well. Um, what do you see in sort of terms of news flow and potential catalysts over the sort of short term period over the next six months? Yeah, good question, Rob. Um, we've just, uh, well, let me step back. In, in April, we announced a $2 million financing. We have since expanded that. I was quite surprised by the level of interest in that financing, particularly since it was a, 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 there was no warrant attached to the offering. Um, and so we've expanded that to uh, about $4 million. Uh, we've closed a couple of weeks ago in about 3.2, and we hope to close on the remainder in the next couple of weeks. Now, that money will allow us to do an awful lot of drilling. We've recently acquired a reverse circulation drill rig, and we looked at buying a new rig and importing it into, the, into Brazil from the US last year, but the cost was prohibitively expensive. We've just found a used rig, identical model to which one, the one that we want, uh, and we bought it for a fraction of what it would be new. So we bought it for about oh, 7% of what it would cost us new. So there's a few parts that need to be replaced. So that rig is going to allow us to drill an awful lot of meters this coming year, starting probably in about August. Um, and so there will be a lot of news flow. And, and that rig will first test these new targets that I mentioned where there's no drilling been done. So Alonzo, the one that's uh, where the surface samples are averaging about three ounces a ton, we'll start with that one. It'll be tremendously exciting. I won't be sleeping uh, whilst that rig's turning at Alonzo. I just won't. Um, it, you know, we're very excited. It's got the highest grade gold values of, of the 20 plus targets uh, that we've got, at least on surface. It will then move to another new target that we announced recently in April called Medusa, where the surface samples are averaging about 26 grams a, a ton, which is also very high grade. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there's another area called Silmar where we've got some cracking targets, where there's, uh, which is shedding a lot of uh, very coarse grain nuggets. Um, and so I, I suspect that we will have tested or, or we will be testing um, those three initial targets within the first four to six weeks. So with every target we test, of course, there's a possibility of uh, just making a new uh, gold discovery, a new, discovering a new gold deposit. Yeah. Um, the rig will then move to some other targets that we're looking at right now, um, some of which have had some drilling. I mentioned there were eight other areas outside the, uh, the million ounces that we've got where we've got some fantastic drill results. Um, and I'll give you some examples. Um, last year, we drilled a new area called Machichi, 
Uh, and uh, one of the holes at Mashishi was only drilled half a dozen holes, but one of them cut 3.4 meters at 36.9 grams. That is a stunning yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of result. Yeah. We have, you know, we have other areas where um, uh, that were drilled some time ago, where we have uh, to give you an example. Uh, we have an area that's um, uh, only 500 meters away from one of the existing deposits that's got a drill hole 27 meters at, at 6.9 grams. Not as high grade, but a nice wide, thick sesh section. Um, we have another area 39 meters at 5.1 grams. I mean, I could go on. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Take a look at the, uh, the, the, the website, particularly the presentation deck, because, um, I, you know, there is an awful lot of high-grade mineralization on this project. It's really a district, Rob. I mean, yeah. um, you know, we refer to it as a project, but I think, I, I think more correctly, you'd have to say it's a district there. And what I mean by that is there is uh, excellent potential here to discover multiple gold deposits. The million ounces that we have right now is spread between two deposits, which are both open at depth, and, and there's no doubt that they will grow significantly. But as I said, there's an awful lot of other, other targets beyond those. So it's just a fraction of fraction of what potentially is there and what, what you're looking, I suppose, to go after. Yeah, I mean, it's exciting. The, the, the project or the district, the area that we have claimed, is 360 square kilometres. And I, I fully expect, you asked me earlier about news flow, and as I said, there'll be a lot of drilling a drill news over the yep. next six to nine months. But in parallel with that, we're going to be doing a uh, continuing the regional exploration program, the surface exploration program. And there are probably a dozen different areas in within the project area that were where we know that the goals got that the streams produced a lot of gold and we don't know where that gold was coming from. Yeah. So I fully expect that we'll be generating additional new targets as the drilling progresses. So yeah. it's exciting times for us. Yeah. And have you got sort of time frames in terms of sort of drilling programs and exploration programs before you sort of move forward? And also as a company, do you have an exit strategy or are you then looking to sort of move into construction and, uh, and production? Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about timeframes and then we can talk yeah. about strategy. So timeframes, as I said, we want to start drilling in, in August, um, maybe late July, maybe later this month if we're lucky, but more likely to be at the first week of August. And we will be drilling uh, throughout uh, the rest of the year and probably into early next year. Now, we haven't fully nailed down what the program's going to be yet. We're currently discussing that. We'd like to get the second tranche of the financing closed uh, before fully committing, uh, but I fully expect to have rigs turning in, in early August. In terms of the strategy for this company, the strategy of this company, Rob, is to define an economic gold deposit. And I think the opportunity from an investment perspective here is the fact that we have a market cap of 15 million Canadian. We already have a resource of a million ounces and we'll have $4 million in cash. To subtract the cash out of the equation, that, would, that, that, that means that the market's valuing our gold deposit is $11 Canadian an ounce. <laughs> so you convert that to US dollars, which we're more familiar with. Um, you know, enterprise value on this, on, on this company is probably about, uh, well, is about uh, seven or eight US dollars per ounce in the ground. Well, you set that against current gold price, which is about 1760 an ounce. Mm. Um, I think there's enormous opportunity. Now, as we know, the market goes in cycles. And uh, the last term, time there was a cycle that looked like this, and we are at the beginning of a cycle here, clearly we are, 
um, was 10 years ago, basically. Um, and um, just back then, as we're seeing again this time, even though the drivers are somewhat different this time, the, um, the cycle is, is, is similar in that what happens first is you get a big run up in the gold price and that's still ongoing, obviously. Mm. Um, there are a lot of folks in the industry who think the gold price is going to go to $5,000, $10,000 an yeah. ounce. Yeah. Um, it may, may not, but it, obviously it's still on the way up. And then you get a move into uh, the major gold mining companies, big companies like Barrick, Yamana, Kinross, Anglo Gold, Ashanti, right? You've seen all those share prices go up. Yeah. Then there's this cascade down into the mid-tier producers, the smaller companies that, that have smaller mines, uh, and they've started to move significantly this year. And then finally, you get small companies like us, um, the much more, the, the, the tinier explorers and developers uh, and when the, when the explorers and developers move and they're starting to move um, and it's always at the end of that cascade in value, you know, a lot of those companies, a lot of these companies are going to go up five, 10, 15, 20 times. Yeah. Which, um, so it's a massive opportunity right now. Yeah. And where, where do you see the sort of gold price over the short to medium term from your perspective? I, I think it's going to uh, continue to go up. Uh, Rob, as I said, uh, you know, the, the pattern that's emerging here is very similar to what happened 10 years ago, albeit the driver's somewhat different. And, and particularly now that we're in this um, uh, COVID-19 situation, um, that has meant that many governments around the world have needed to um, print money, essentially. Um, and, and that obviously is ultimately is going to decrease the actual value of that money. So there will be an, a move in, and there already is a move into commodities. And, yeah. uh, you know, typically when these sorts of things happen, people move into gold. So um, all this money that's been injected, for example, where you are in the UK, you know, the government's announced some, some huge aid packages to various, um, you know, to business, um, various sec business sectors. Um, that's ultimately going to mean that, the currency is is worth less, it's, not yeah. worthless, but worth less than it was, um, you know, twelve months ago. Yeah, and everyone's so, everyone's purchasing power decreases as well, so you don't get yeah. more for your, for your money. You yeah, money. That, that's right. And so, obviously, there are other drivers that come into it too. But I would say that's the key driver here, in my personal opinion. Mm. But uh, and and so I think that represents enormous opportunity. Um, and I think you're seeing it with smaller companies like ours that are able to get finance much easier. You know, for the last sort of seven or eight years, very difficult to finance a small little company like ours. Yeah. Very, very difficult, right? People here in Canada are more interested in investing in cryptocurrencies and the cannabis space yeah. and, um, and, and, and other things. But uh, I think the fact that we were able to do a financing that had no warrant on it you know, typically people here in Canada, uh, typical invest, people typically invest in companies like ours are looking for a, a warrant. So they buy a, a unit, they buy a share, uh, typically a discount, and then they have the option to buy another share at some point in the future for a period of two or three years, typically. Yeah. Uh, we didn't need to offer that warrant here, and we still had an enormous number of orders. Um, so I think that for me is a, is a real leading indicator. It's never easy to raise money when you've got no revenues. Um, but it, it certainly has been, uh, there's been a lot more interest coming into our sector and our part of the mining sector 
particularly in the last six months. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I've been sort of doing, studying a lot of economics just more recently, and I think it's, I think it's mining's time now, and especially gold. So I, I, I expect that it will be easier or getting easier to raise money and there being more money available to the, the, the gold market and also obviously the, the mining industry. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are, there are lots of leading indicators that I'm very yeah. um, sensitive to. And I'll give you another example. Uh, there are a number of new funds that have, uh, were unknown 12 months ago. Uh, where um, different investment groups and, and uh, people that manage money are setting up dedicated mining funds to invest, invest in the gold space. And yeah. so that is great. But, but, uh, but a number of these fun, uh, groups are now establishing funds to, to invest in the junior sector, right? The small sector, the, 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 the more, I suppose you'd have to say, higher risk, earlier stage uh, companies uh, like ours rather than the big producers because there is that potential to make 10 times your initial investment you know people yeah. who invest in junior companies like ours are typically looking to make five ten times the money um, as opposed to you know if you buy barrack you may make 30 percent may make 50 percent you may even double your money yeah. um, but uh, I think that's also a very good leading indicator of where we're heading here in the short to medium term yeah, and I think the mining space, especially the, the gold space, is undervalued compared to other, other assets. Um, so I think that there will be a lot more money available to, to the industry and especially gold. Um, yeah, I mean, as I said, the value of proposition in, in our particular yeah. case, if we're not alone. There are lots of other companies with a similar sort of value proposition. Uh, but uh, in our particular case, we, have, we already have one million ounce gold deposit drilled off and we're currently, and that is currently valued at about seven US dollars an ounce. Yeah. So, you know, the gold price typically moves more than that. In a, in a, <laughs> sometimes yeah. several times more than that. So, um, um, yeah, I think there's enormous opportunity. Yeah, certainly. I've got a couple more questions. So, um, why should someone invest in a Cabrera Gold? Well, uh, I invest in this space, and so I have my checklist of things that I look for. I think um, one important thing that we haven't discussed is that. I'm the largest shareholder. So I've put an awful lot of my money into uh, this company. Um, so it would, it's about 1.7 million Canadian, more or less. Um, and, you know, I'm not a particularly wealthy guy. I live in a rented two-bedroom apartment here in Vancouver. Um, so I'm the largest shareholder. So um, I'm aligned with my shareholders. We've got some very good other shareholders. Um, which include the Royal Bank of Canada, their Precious Metals Fund. There's a group called Dundee Goodman. Um, it's very well known in Toronto. They're a very big shareholder. Um, a gold fund called Phoenix, which um, has, a, has, a, has a good interest too. So it's a mix of institutional and retail investors, but management is heavily invested in this company yeah. and, and owns, uh, as a board and management, we own over 20% of this company. Um, that's the first thing. Second thing I would say is the capital structure of this company um, has uh, about 80 million shares out now. Once we close this second tranche, it will be close to 90 million shares. So the capital structure is reasonable. Uh, we're in a jurisdiction, as I said, where there are multiple large gold mining companies active in Brazil. Um, and it has a very uh, dynamic and growing uh, mining sector with a very deep uh, pool of skilled, uh, skilled workforce. Um, the other thing I'd say, Rob, is that, and I've said this two or three times already, we already have a million ounce gold deposit. So this isn't a tiny company that's got this idea to go look for gold. 
in a part you of Brazil. We already have a million ounces. And as I said, that those deposits are open at depth. The other thing I look for as an investor in, in junior mining companies, I look for upside. Now, the upside on the project that we have or the district that we have is truly stunning. Uh, I can, cannot recall, and I've looked at hundreds of gold projects, another gold project that I've come across in my career that has the sort of upside that this company does. Um, because we have eight other target areas where we've already drilled gold and got some very good high-grade intercepts in eight areas outside the million ounces, uh, which, as I said, is going to grow. And so there are eight targets with some drilling. And then we've got a whole series of other targets, some of which we've already discussed, where we've got very, very good numbers on surface that have no drill holes as yet. And so the other thing I would say is that we're right next door. The claims are contiguous with a project, the project I mentioned earlier called Token Zinho, that is owned by Eldorado Gold. So we have a major gold mining company right next door to us. Um, uh, and by the way, their project area produced 200,000 ounces of gold. Our project area produced 2 million ounces of gold during the gold rush. So, you know, we're optimistic that our project could be a lot larger than that. Yeah. Than um, the, uh, the other thing I'd finally say, what again we've alluded to, is that there's an awful lot of news flow um, going to be happening in terms of this company. So, you know, there's a lot of drilling that we're planning on August and, and every couple of weeks or so, we'll be drilling a new target. Well, that's gonna be pretty exciting. And um, we're not telling uh, investors that we're, we're planning a drill program to plan to drill one target. We're gonna be drilling a whole series of those. And with each target, we could make a new discovery. So I don't think I'm gonna get much sleep for the next six to nine <laughs> months, to be perfectly honest. Um, no, I, I would say that, that, that that's probably those are the reasons in a nutshell. And finally, the enterprise value on this company right now is, is, is equal to about seven to eight US dollars an ounce in the ground, yeah. which, is, which is kind of a crazy uh, kind of valuation. But yeah. such as has been the um, cycle that we've been in. And most of these junior companies, as I said earlier, have not actually caught fire yet, but they will. It's yeah. coming. Yeah, certainly. I mean, it, it definitely sounds an attractive proposition and um, I can see your enthusiasm um, in the project. And um, yeah, obviously we, we, we've got a lot of people listening to uh, these uh, episodes, so um, I'm sure they're um, definitely looking into the company. Um, last, I just want to ask one last question. Um, what does mining mean to you? Well, mining, me, mining to me, that's a very good question. Um, Mining means to me, it's the basis of our societies. So if you look around your room, or if you look around your street or your town, let's say you stand outside your house and start looking around, probably 95% of, or maybe more, of what you're looking at is mined or grown. Yeah. And most of it will be mined. Mm. So your your roads for example your uh, your houses you know if you're built in brick uh, your car your computer your cell phone your fridge your cooker everything that you depend on and i depend on and we depend on as a society is basically mined just about everything um you know obviously food is a different thing but it has a massive, massive impact. Now, um, 
so I think if mining is done responsibly, um, it has it has and will continue to have a tremendous benefit to uh, society in general. Um, and as technologies advance, we depend on commodities to power those technologies. And so being a tiny, tiny part of that and having the ability to potentially discover something could be a massive benefit to the local community and, and, and transform people's lives is, is an incredible opportunity. And so, you know, where I'd like to be in, in five years time is with a much, much larger gold discovery, probably in two years time with a much, much larger gold discovery so that we can start uh, discussing the development of that project um, and having, you know, making lasting, meaningful benefit for the people in the region. Um, I think that's what it means to me. Yeah. Long-winded answer. Yeah, no, no, it does. And, and, and you're correct in everything you said. Uh, it's funny, since I've been doing these podcasts, um, that, that whole theory of, or not theory, um, that everything around us has either been mined or agricultured generally always does come up. And I, don't th- and I think people outside of the mining industry don't actually realise that. Uh, no, no, no I, think, I, think, I think the industry as a whole has done an atrocious job of 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 marketing basically they basically assume that everybody understands that well most people don't, don't. no 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 yeah. don't you know my daughter's 19 you know she picks up a cell phone multiple times a day um it has no ever probably never given any thought to what what's inside the phone right. and where it comes from it just uh, comes from a factory that's right it comes from a factory well you know all these factories electric cars wind turbines um, you know, et cetera, solar panels. What do you think they're made out of? Yeah. They're all made out of things that we need to extract and produce, but, but we need to do a much better job as an industry in terms of marketing ourselves uh, and explaining to people just how important uh, what we do is. Yeah, certainly. And I think that's, that's another episode around sort of branding <laughs> and marketing, the whole industry. And again, that, comes, that sort of topic always comes up um regularly when i interview guests around branding and everyone has the same sort of thinking that the branding and marketing of the mining industry isn't isn't great and it it can be improved so much so so the the actual whole world understand what what mining fundamentals of mining is and because i think majority don't actually understand yeah Um, we we somehow need to get much better at it as an industry much yeah. much better there's a massive amount of room for improvement for doing that because you know you get one uh terrible uh, tragedy um such as a dam collapse or something there was something in the news today about an informal mine in madagascar no uh, Myanmar, i think it was but a jade mine where a wall collapsed terrible terrible tragedy uh, and and you know that people look at that and they say well you know that's symptomatic of, of the indus- of the mining industry which it's not you know mm. um so you know i think we can do a much better job we need to do a much better job yeah certainly all right Alan, really appreciate your time in uh, taking the time to do this podcast um if our audience wants to sort of reach out to you ask you any questions find out more about um what you're doing how can they uh, go about doing that uh, well, they can go to our website, which is cabralgold.com, C-A-B-R-A-L-G-O-L-D.com, or they can email me directly, uh, alan, A-L-A-N, at uh, cabralgold.com.
Yeah. And are you on any other social media platforms? Uh, yep, yeah, we're on LinkedIn. Um, we're on, um, I think we have a Facebook page as well. Um, we're on all the major, we're on Twitter. Um, we're on all the major, major platforms. Yeah. So you'll find us there. Yep, yeah, and we can put those in the show notes as well. So um, really appreciate your time, Alan. Thank you very much for giving us the account of, account of uh, Cabral Gold and giving the audience an understanding of mining in Brazil. And I'm sure a lot of the audience would be very interested and uh, we'll reach out to you. So I really appreciate your time. Real pleasure, Rob. Thanks for your time. No worries. And until next time, happy mining. Thanks for listening to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. If there are any topics you want discussed or questions you want to ask any guests, then you can email us at rob at mining-international.org or you can follow Rob and Mining International on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter and YouTube for more content and to have your questions answered. Until next time, happy mining.